It's a reading from the book of the prophet Hosea. Thus says the Lord, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. There is probably nothing more underrated, nothing more misunderstood in today's world than solitude. Solitude, if it's mentioned at all today, is described the same way that celibacy is oftentimes described. It is something negative. It is something lifeless and archaic. And it is only suggested in the most dire circumstances or is always a last resort. I remember when uh, COVID was first happening uh, about, about a year and a half ago, right in the first week or two of when everything was starting to get crazy. One morning I was just reading the news and one of the headlines in the news that morning caught my attention because it was, it was a story of a, a, famous, a famous tennis player and the headline read, it had the tennis player's name and then it said, seeks solitude for six weeks. And when I read this headline, I immediately thought that this, this athlete was experiencing a uh, conversion and was, was going into solitude to uh, find God or to begin a new life with God. And as I, was, as I began to read the article, I realized that the headline was completely misleading. Because what this tennis player was doing was that they were she was taking her family, her husband and her two kids, away to some house they had tucked away, far away from the world, basically to hide from COVID. And so what she was doing was she was isolating herself and her family. She was not going into solitude. And so what's the difference? Well, in isolation, someone is hiding themselves. We hide ourselves in isolation. 
and, and we turn inward. And oftentimes the motivation for isolation is fear. In solitude, we do the complete opposite. In solitude, we open ourselves. We turn outward. And the motivation for solitude is always love. I would like to define solitude as simply alone with and not aloneness or loneliness, right? Solitude is alone with and not loneliness. Now, one can certainly feel lonely, but in true solitude, one is never alone. Whereas I could be in a crowded room or on a crowded street corner with many people all around. And I could literally be alone. So how is that possible? Well, if we understand solitude as this opening of ourselves to God, this being alone with Him, then what are the fruits of that? What is the outcome of such a posture? Well, it's namely God. It's His presence who always receives us as we are. And so the fruit of solitude, the fruit of opening ourselves up to God, is always Him. It's always His presence. In Jeremiah 33, verse 3, the Lord says through him, Call to me and I will answer you. And will tell you great and hidden things which you have not known. And in Psalm 91, the Lord says, When you call to me, I will answer you. Whereas if we are in a crowded room or on a crowded street corner, and if we open ourselves to another, There is a good chance that we might not be received, that we might, in fact, be ignored, maybe even ridiculed or abandoned. It's never like that with God. Hence, in true solitude, we are never alone. You know, for the last six years in my own vocation, I have been spending more and more time in solitude. In fact, I'm actually living right now at a, at a monastery, 
serving the, the sisters here as a chaplain and really living as a hermit. And it's funny because the most common question I get from my own brothers and my own community and just from people I know is, do you ever get lonely? Everybody asks me that question. Do, do I ever get lonely? And every time I get asked that question, I think about it and I always come to the same conclusion. In solitude, I've experienced every human emotion possible except loneliness. Loneliness is the one thing I have never experienced in solitude. I've experienced loneliness at times in community, in ministry, in my own family, and just in life, but never in solitude. Part of my reason for saying all of this is because every person to some degree has a vocation, has a calling to solitude. Whether that is for five minutes a day, five hours a week, five months of the year, or for a lifetime. You know, the reality is that an actual solitary vocation is extremely, extremely rare. 99.5% of people are not called to a solitary vocation, meaning an entire life in solitude. I think in my own life, I've only met one person who I know who has a solitary vocation, who's whole life is lived in solitude. But all of us are called to some degree of solitude. <clears throat> How can I say that so confidently? I can say that so confidently because of what the motivation of solitude, what the essence of solitude really is. And what is that motivation? It is simply love. It is simply intimacy. Right? When we are in love, we simply want to be alone with our beloved. If we don't ever want to be alone with the one we love, we could honestly say that our love then is not very deep. And in fact, it might even be superficial. Because it is in being alone with solitude where love deepens. Not where 
we always remain. But solitude is that place where love deepens. A couple months ago, I was speaking with uh, friends of mine who, who are married. And I was speaking with, with Joseph. And we, were, we had been trying to plan a day where we could get together. Where him and his wife um, would, would come up and visit me. And we and we'd just, just spend the whole day together. And we were going over these certain certain dates and, and times, and I asked Joseph. I said, you know, "Joseph, what about?" I said, "What about next Saturday?" And so he looked at his calendar, and he said, "Father," he said, "I'm sorry, I can't." And I said, "Okay." I said, "What? No problem. You have to work or something like that." And he said to me, "He said this Saturday, my wife and I are scheduled to spend the evening alone." We have a babysitter for the kids, and Christina and I are going to spend the evening alone. And when he said that, I was just silent. I was so encouraged. I I felt so edified. I thought to myself, well, how could I get mad at Joseph wanting to spend time alone with his wife? Right? Nobody in their right mind would say that was strange. In fact, most people, 99% of people, would be encouraged by that, would be edified that a husband and wife want to spend time alone together. If this is necessary for marriage and even for relationships, How much more necessary is it for our relationship with God? Again, we're not talking, or at least I'm not talking, about a life of solitude. I'm not talking about leaving behind our responsibilities. But what I am talking about is the necessity of times and periods of solitude in our relationship with God. And, you know, I have to admit, when I first started talking about this with people, I was a little hesitant because my, my fear was, the first objection that I would always hear to this was, you know, Father, this sounds great, but I just don't have time. I don't have time for solitude. I don't have time for prayer. And I sympathize with that because obviously life is very busy, especially in our modern world. But I have to admit, I no longer buy that excuse that I'm too busy or that life is too busy. And this is why. Uh, A survey just came out recently. And it said that in 2020, now 2020 was a very difficult year, obviously, for our country and for the whole world, of course. But in 2020, there was a survey that said that the average American, the average American spends two hours and 24 minutes a day on social media. 
that's not all. In addition to those two and a half hours a day of social media, the average American spends another two to three hours a day watching TV. Now, is this everybody? Well, of course not. But it is a large percentage of people. And many of those people are Christians. My conclusion is, yes, life is busy. But we have time. We're just not making good use of it. You know, it's kind of ironic, but the more time one spends on social media, on uh, watching TV, and again, not saying these things are bad, but anything to excess is, is not good for us. But what is ironic is that the more time we spend on social media and TV, and this is psychologically and scientifically proven, the more things like anxiety, depression, insecurity, and fear increase. And we we might ask, what is the connection? Why is that happening? And I think the reason is so simple. Because we are viewing life through a screen. We are viewing life through images that are always altered, that are never an accurate depiction of the way reality really is. This might come as a surprise, but people are nothing like their social media accounts portray them. Right? Life is nothing what it looks like on Facebook or Instagram. I'm sorry, that's just the truth. Right? At the very best, the very best, social media is a fraction. It is a snippet of reality. It is a one or two second frame of somebody's life. That's all that it is. The problem is not so much with social media, but it's that we believe that what's posted on social media is the way people and life really are. No wonder so many people are anxious. No wonder so many people are depressed. And again, what is a bit ironic is that the more time we spend in solitude, again, being understood as time alone with God and not as a permanent vocation, but the more time we spend in solitude, Solitude becomes one of the most helpful remedies for things like fear, insecurity, and anxiety. Why? Because when I'm looking at God, I see reality completely. I see life as a whole. I see life the way it really is. 
In God, I see who I really am. And that image doesn't need any altering. The image of myself that I see in God doesn't need a thousand likes or a thousand shares or a thousand comments. Solitude then reminds me, and this is such an important reminder for all of us, it reminds me that I'm loved by God right now as I am. It doesn't mean that I don't need to grow or that I'm perfect already, of course not. But that at my foundation, I am lovable. And that is so deeply healing. And that is something you are not going to experience on TV or on social media. So how can we enter into solitude? What can be a first uh, step towards solitude? I like to read a short little paragraph from uh, the great book Postinia by Catherine Daughtery. And this is what she says. She says, how can one achieve solitude? By standing still. Stand still, she says. And allow the deadly restlessness of our tragic age to fall away like the worn out dusty cloak that it is. That restlessness is simply a running away from oneself, a turning from the journey inward that all men must undertake to meet God dwelling within the depths of their souls. In other words, the first step towards solitude is to stop. Stop planning. Stop analyzing. Stop overthinking. Stop trying to manipulate, to control. Stop worrying. Stop wondering, what if, or how can I do this? Stop. For 10 minutes. And allow all of that to fall away. And then see what's left. Or maybe a better way of saying it is see who remains. See who is present as all of these other things fall away. 
Why is it important that we first stop? It's important because solitude is already present within you and around you. In other words, we are already alone with God. God is already with us, but we are not with him. And so solitude, to some degree, is simply the choice to live fully in reality, the way things really are. Solitude is a choice. It's always a choice. It's not something that's probably going to come naturally for us, especially in the beginning. And so it's something that I must choose over and over again. And solitude, like love, especially as we get older, becomes more and more a choice. And the reason for that is because the fireworks, the emotional highs that often occurred while we were younger, tend to diminish with age. And God does this for the simple reason so that our love can mature and become more pure. And so it's the same with solitude. We must continually choose times to be alone with God, regardless of how we feel, or even if we think it might be a waste of time. Or even when I think, well, there could be so many other things I could be doing for God. Solitude must be a choice, one that I choose regularly. One of the, the desert mothers, whose name is Ama Sinclatica, she once said that there are many who live in the mountains and behave as if they were in the town. And they are wasting their time. It is possible to be a solitary in one's mind while living in a crowd. And it is possible for one who is a solitary to live in the crowd of his own thoughts. What is her point? Her point, I believe, is that solitude is not a guarantee. Even if I am alone in a church, or alone in a hermitage, or alone in a, a prayer room in my house, though I could be physically alone, I very well might not be 
alone with. I might very well simply be living in my thoughts or living in my past. Unfortunately, I have spent many hours of prayer simply alone with myself and not alone with God. How do we know when we are alone with ourselves and not God? When we are alone with ourselves, there is oftentimes a lot of worry, a lot of self-analysis, a lot of comparison, doubt, fear, and an overall restlessness, both interiorly and exteriorly. We are alone with God. We don't fuss about ourselves at all. In true solitude, there is peace. There is self-gift. There is stillness. Solitude, then, is not something that is reserved for cloistered monks and nuns. It must be a part of every disciple's life to some extent, even if it is only for a few minutes each day. And there are many, many reasons for this. But I'd just like to conclude with two reasons why solitude must be a part of every disciple's life. The first reason is very simple. It's because God is jealous for us. Right? In the Bible, when God says... I am jealous for Israel, or I am jealous for you. What he's saying is that I am passionate for you. I desire you. Ultimately, I love you. But I love you in in such a way that is unlike any other love that you've ever experienced in this life. So God is jealous for us. He is passionate for us. And if we are jealous for him, we will seek him in solitude. We will seek times to simply be alone with him. Hence, solitude is a profound way of loving God for his own sake. And the second reason why solitude is so important in the life of every disciple 
is that solitude evangelizes. How can you talk about someone? How can you reveal someone who you don't really know? Solitude bridges the gap between our head and our heart. It gives us a knowledge and an experience of God that cannot be taught in a classroom or that you cannot just simply read in a book. A person who spends time alone with God is a bright light. They become a magnet to other people in this world. Why? Because there's less of them and more of God. And God, no matter who a person is, the reality, the presence, the love, the light, and the purity of God is always attractive. And the person who spends time alone with God reflects that love, reflects that light, and radiates that peace and that joy in this world. And so, my friends, let us seek solitude. Let us seek times to simply be alone with God so that we can love Him more deeply and reveal Him to others more effectively.